You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Well, hello, Hillary. Hello. Great to be with you, Mike. Hey, pleasure to have you on. You're, uh, boy, this is a relatively new podcast for me, but you're an old pro. <laughs> I, so this this August marks the, um, have been doing the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast for two years, uh, which is exciting because uh, almost at the 100 episode mark, um, I've been really committed to sharing uh, success stories about pharmacy and um, yeah, it, it does. It takes a wow. lot of uh, diligence and passion um, to be committed to that for um, yeah. this long. Because we all know the slope of a podcast is there's a lot of volume one, episode one podcast, and that's the last mm-hmm. we hear from people. So you're a, you're a hero in my book. Well, Hillary, for those that don't know you, take us back to, I guess, when pharmacy became part of your life and kind of to c- catch us up then to where we are now. Uh, sure. So I grew up in uh, the Mississippi Delta in a small town and attended the University of Mississippi as an early entry pharmacy student. Uh, so what that means is as a high school senior, I was admitted uh, to pharmacy school with the you know contingency that I maintained my grades and, and all of those certain requirements. Um, and so uh, as a junior, I entered pharmacy school. Now, they they have uh, expanded that um, initial time to uh, three years of prereqs um, from the two, but I was able to kind of get right in um, there, which was great. Uh, so um, while I was at Ole Miss, um, got really plugged in uh, with, I've always had a passion for um advocacy and and policy was on the associated student body as a a pharmacy uh, representative and actually went up to D.C. and interned on the Hill for a Mississippi senator, Senator Wicker, who's still in office today and got the, the, you know, D.C. bug, if you will, and wanted to go back for pharmacy. And, uh, you know, we all know pharmacy is a small world. And one of the Ole Miss alums was the director for the Office of Pharmacy Affairs. And I was able to intern there the following two summers. And I think people got a little confused. They kept thinking that I actually lived in D.C., but I just (laughs) wanted to spend all my summers up there. Yeah. um, Which was fun. Got exposed to the 340B program um, and just exploring a little bit more about public health and how to operationalize a national program Um, and a a passion for caring for the safety net and the underserved, which um, circles back in with my current work. But um, yeah, throughout pharmacy school, I I really sought to have a diversity of rotations to see um, all of the different avenues uh, of pharmacy. And I I remember vividly as a fourth year, you know, you select your rotations for your last year and you're really not quite sure exactly what you're going to be getting into. But I remember being so excited um, as a fourth year student to see um, the unique opportunities that we have as pharmacists to be involved in 
the patient care process, whether it's working in the ambulatory care clinic. I loved being in um, the hypertension clinic down at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, loved being in the ER, um, and really just dove into those clinical rotations and pursued a residency, um, and then made it to Nashville and, uh, have what, worked what brought to- you to, what brought you to Nashville? I'm sorry. Did you start there in Nashville or did you? Uh, no, I, so all of this was, was in Mississippi, uh, did my residency with the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And, and was your childhood Nashville or what brought you there then? What brought oh, you to Nashville? No, I, um, you know, I, I grew up in Mississippi, uh, in a small town there, spent all my time there. And I think being exposed to, uh, DC had lots of friends from Dallas and Austin. Uh, I knew that I wanted to be in a, a little bit of a bigger city and okay. a lot of Ole Miss, uh, people were, you know, in Nashville and actually I was born in Tennessee. So oh, okay, sure. had some Tennessee ties, but right. I've been here for seven years, um, and met my husband here. So we will be, we will be in Nashville, which is definitely an, uh, a great booming city and a great spot for healthcare. Yeah, a good spot for healthcare, huh? With the the growth and size of it, and so on. Well, it, it's actually uh, the a, a real hub for healthcare. You've got uh, the largest private hospitals in the country are home based here. So mm. HCA, um, CHS, LifePoint. Um, so with all of that, uh, uh, you know, hospital. Uh, prowess. You've also got a lot of startups that have been uh, generated. I think there's over 400 different healthcare startups in Nashville. Really? Is that because of its uh, relatively central location in the country or, you know, versus far east or far west? Or Um, I wonder what brings everybody there. Well, you know, the the Bill Frist, who, Senator Frist, uh, was uh, governor of Tennessee, then became a Senate leader, uh, majority leader, and he's a physician by training. And so I guess he and, and his, you know, colleagues had actually founded HCA hmm. back in the day. Um, but yeah, there, and then, uh, then it kind of snowballed, it seems. Yeah. And, and actually Belmont University, which has one of the three pharmacy schools in Nashville, um, they're uh, founder of the business school, um, I can't recall his first name, but Massey uh, was was a, a high up with HCA. So hmm. just lots of of um, you know opportunity. Vanderbilt's here. I, yeah, I, I forgot to mention Vanderbilt, which of course has national recognition. Right. As a leader. Um, so yeah, it's, that's, that's neat. Yeah. So so you so back to Nashville, you went. And what'd you start up there then? I mean, you, I, yeah. I believe you were in retail there at the time, right? Community pharmacy? Yeah, or? yeah. So uh, for all the new grads, um, you know, you go to school and maybe you do a residency, maybe you don't. And it's that kind of anticipation of where do you go next? Because uh, it is, it is challenging. And, and what I'll share is, you know, you, you're probably not going to get your dream job straight out of school. Um, so, uh, for me, I really thought that I was going to do hospital pharmacy. I did my residency in that was interested in that. Um, but 
uh, when I was moving to Nashville, really the only positions were staff pharmacist positions. And I didn't want to, I, I made the decision to go into independent pharmacy. I had a, um, actually family friend that owned his own, own independent pharmacy here just outside of Nashville. And it wasn't an open position, but he needed help, um, just kind of updating his clinical pharmacy services, sure. doing, setting up an immunization program, going out and, uh, connecting with, you know, potential clients like assisted livings. And so I've wore a lot of different hats. Yeah. You kind you kind of built a spot for yourself that wasn't there. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that was, um, you know, a little bit of a leap of faith, but you know, that's what he said. He was like, Hey, I can get you to Nashville. And he was, um, really generous in that. And I was able to, to learn a lot and you know, get exposed to a couple of different things and try, try and, you know, try and succeed or try and fail at, right. at a few things. Right. Well, so then, so you're in, you're in retail a while. When is your next, um, when and why is your next jump into, um, some of your other endeavors, which we'll get into, but what was the impetus for kind of moving on and doing some of this other stuff um, after your time in retail? Yeah. Well, if you look at my uh, career path prior to Dispensary of Hope, it looks a little confusing um, because, you know, I did retail or independent pharmacy and then, um, my boss ended up selling because he owned mm. it for a while. And so I needed to look for a different job and thought that maybe working for a health plan might be interesting and learned a lot. I uh, learned about more in depth about the prior authorization approval and that pharmacists actually are reviewing all of those cases. Um, but, and, you know, working on star ratings, calling physicians, but there really wasn't a a lot of interaction with people sure, um, and not a lot of creativity in, in the work for me. It just wasn't a good fit. And yeah. um, what do you know, they ended up being acquired. And so that was another transition point. Yeah. Um, and so I tried mail order specialty pharmacy and um, learned a lot about uh, all the different requirements and, and, uh, got licensed in 11 different states as, did you have to test in all those states? Oh yeah. Um, so, so there's very, uh, strict, uh, regs of course that vary from state to state and you've got to have, is that the same medical portion, but just different law or do you have to actually take the medical portion in all those states also? No, it's just the MPJE or the multi-state um, jurisprudence Juris, yeah, exam, gotcha. which um, new grads definitely study up on the law exams yeah. because uh, they are not really as fact-based. So the NAPLEX, you pretty much know if you have the right answer or not, but with right. the MPJE, um, it's very situational-based and, um, you know, you've you of course study the law book. You of course are going to study that state's regs, um, but it is very situational. So um, there are a couple other resources online that I found, uh, little study guides and things. So 
Yeah, it's got to be hard to keep all those laws straight between um, – and I imagine if I'm the one doing the test, I'm going to I'm gonna make it real tricky by making the questions different that I know are different laws between neighboring states. So that's, that's got to be a uh, tricky test to take between all those. Right. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, so I, I use a uh, service or actually pharmacist letter is the best uh, method for me to um, keep track of all the different license requirements because some renew biannually, some renew annually. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. So lot, lots to, to go on with that. Yeah. So that's the mail order. You had to take those four. And then, and then when, where on from that, you had mentioned your, um, the, um, the hope, um, dispensaries of hope. Um, Mm -hmm. what is that? Right. Yeah. So I actually learned about that while I was, um, working for the independent pharmacy and because patients that were going to, um, a pharmacy that he also owned inside, Centerstone, which is a mental health clinic, some of those patients were talking about dispensary of hope when they were having trouble affording their medicine. And I've always been um, intrigued in, you know, helping helping people, uh, particularly those that um, are underserved, uh, as you know, evidence from our work at HRSA. And uh, just growing up in uh, the Mississippi Delta and and seeing a lot of those patients at UMC. Um, and so I was intrigued about this, you know, what is dispensary of hope? I, I was curious too. So I, um, reached out and, uh, learned about it and offered to volunteer and, um, actually, uh, helped to develop their generic formulary and did that as, on a volunteer basis for about two years, just kind of on and off. I've always been really involved and giving back to the community with, um, different, uh, community organizations. And, uh, they actually got some, a big infusion of funding in 2014 and were able to hire a pharmacist. And so they came knocking at my door. And so just some background for those of you who don't know about dispensary of hope, it's a charitable medication distributor. So just like Cardinal or McKesson or Amerisher Spurgeon, I'm sure all of you are familiar with those big three. Of course, there's other smaller ones, more sticks in, et cetera. Um, but we're licensed as a wholesale distributor in all 50 states. Uh, and Dispensary Pope is the nation's leading charitable medication distributor. Um, since 2012, uh, we've been able to assemble a collaborative of most of the largest um, generic manufacturers and most of the largest health systems who are serving uninsured. And so what we do is we acquire donated medication uh, from the pharmaceutical companies and then distribute that to communities across the country. So to uh, free clinics, FQHCs, charitable pharmacies, and health system outpatient pharmacies uh, so that they are able to dispense that to their low-income uninsured patients. When I was looking in the um, the nice YouTube video on that site, it was talking about some of the benefits to the manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And one of the things it mentioned that caught my eye, because I had this question, was it said it cut down on their... Um, 
what would you call it? Incineration cost. Incineration cost. Mm-hmm. That that got me thinking. What what kind of drugs are these that they would have to be incinerated? Are they shorter dated or misprints? Or obviously they're good drugs, but is what, what makes them, you know, either either go to you or incinerable, if that's a word, but but not to be sold. Well, actually, uh, so all of the medications that we have are within date. Uh, so usually it's anywhere between nine and 18 months. Um, but what happens in the life cycle of a medication is, um, you know, you just think about supply and demand. So um, all of these manufacturers are, well, think about just the generic industry. So often you've got multiple manufacturers making lisinopril. And uh, they are going to make forecast and try to make as much as they need to sell. And um, the manufacturer is actually responsible for designating their own expiration date. And typically we see anywhere from two to three years. But when it hits about that one year mark, um, they really can't sell it to the wholesalers anymore. So Yeah, they're running out of time. Of, right. So... Um, they're either going to short sell it to one of these secondary ones like ANDA or something else. Right. Or they have to, you know, it's if they've got a lot of surplus, then it's basically quarantined until six months of dating. And actually all meds that before they're expired or as they're expired, go to the incinerator. Uh, so we do that. We've got a lot of waste um, in the... The industry, you know, you see a lot of that with um, long-term care and other um, places. But, uh, yeah, so we we are able to take any of that surplus medicine and put it to good use. So they do get a tax benefit. Right. Um, and it increases their corporate social responsibility. That's something that yeah. all uh, companies are really looking at these days is how do they give back. And, um, so yeah, I would imagine that if they, if they run out, they're going to lose a lot more money in sales than they lose by having an, having a surplus once they take the tax advantage and the corporate goodwill and that kind of stuff. Right. And actually I just learned this here recently that the manufacturers have in their agreement with the wholesalers, a failure to supply clause. Oh, is that right? So when they do not supply when they, when they fail to supply due to a drug shortage or, you know, maybe they don't yeah. have enough, um, they actually have to pay the distributor to purchase it from somewhere else. Oh, right. Yeah. So they're covering the cost for the distributor. Yeah. They're losing money and they're covering the cost for the distributor to get it elsewhere. Yeah. And I'm sure wow. that price isn't cheap once the other company knows the other one ran out. Right. Exactly. So well, what was that about the six months you were saying? You said that when it hits only six months left, they, they quarantine it or. Yeah. Cause they can never, no longer sell it. They so can't do anything really with just, it then. You yeah. Know, kind of sitting right. there six months to expiration and yeah. sending it on. Yeah. That makes sense. So. Well, that's cool. So, so, um, it's it's a really fascinating um, organization and very well put together because a lot of the times I'll go on some websites kind of looking at different show things in that. And this one is this one's really sharp and it got the point across real easily that you are certainly a um, national organization. Yeah, we yeah. So we 
we serve, I believe, 34 states across the country and over 170 dispensing partners. And it ranges from large systems like Ascension um, all the way down to charitable pharmacies. So um, yeah. it's it's really amazing. And, and it's really a, uh, the pharmacist is, I think, the hero out of all of this because of course. we are, you know, providing this medicine to patients that would otherwise go without. So, you yeah. know, a lot of times um, they're, we're piecing together different programs. So, right. you know, you've got 340B, you've got manufacturer coupon cards, you've got the $4 list. Right. Um, you know, a lot of times hospitals are just, they have a charity care program and, and if a patient um, has, you know, meet certain financial criteria, they, the hospital will often just provide them their medicine, but it's only that one time at discharge. Um, sure. So we're yeah. able to provide it in a consistent fashion so that those patients can come back in. And so when they do have high blood pressure or diabetes or um, even mental health, they're able to be managed on an outpatient basis. And so we're um, in turn saving the hospital system often um, $2,000 per patient life. Yeah, I, I'd imagine. So so Hillary, is that your full-time job at this point? At this point, yeah. So I am full time at Dispensary of Hope. Have been there. It will be four years, November of 2019. Wow, that's mm-hmm. great. Well, then, apparently at nighttime, you work on a few other things. Being the two of them, being your um, your websites of drug information and na- natural drug information. Do I have that right? And, and, yeah. and is this, um, and some consulting and things like that. So when do you, when do you fit this stuff in? Yeah. You know, I have always been a, I, I've always had to be good at time management. So growing up, um, I love athletics still and, and really, I uh, love to do exercise and fitness, and, and my husband and I do triathlons. If anyone follows along on Instagram at Talk to Your Pharmacist, you'll see some of my triathlon posts. What uh, what what, dis- what distance do you, do you do? I'm gonna I'm gonna guess Olympic. Hopefully not the full. <laughs> you know, usually we stick to the the sprints. Yeah, sprints. Uh, so a, a mile swim. Three miles run and yeah. about 12, 12, 12 bike? 12 to 17. Yeah, usually usually it's about a half mile swim. Uh, but for me, I like the longer swim because I'm a swimmer. So that gives me the better advantage. Um, I, you know, I, I got, I got to jump in see no one, no one can see what I look like on the screen. So, so believe it or not, though, um, I did triathlons back in, well, before you guys were born, and then also from 2012 to 15. And I was a swimmer in high school, and it's terrible because in the swim, I'm like in the top 25%, right. but in the run and the bike, I'm I'm well below the, the bottom quarter. And so yeah. I have I have never, I have yet to ever pass somebody in a triathlon. I, I mean, these I people know. just <laughs> zoom by me. So that's very, uh, uh, <laughs> that's not fun. So right. I, I'm, I'm sure you could not be as you're good in the swim. That's great, and I'm and I'm sure you're decent uh, at the bike and the run also. 
Yeah, my cycling has has significantly improved over the past few years. So I just won overall female for my oh no, I, I sometimes I'll make age group, but I actually won overall female in one that we participated in uh, last month at Paris Landing. So that was exciting. Good for you. Yeah, that's fantastic. So um, that's fantastic. Yeah, I was. T- I always tell my kids that. Uh, I always say I won my age group, and I say mm-hmm. that's for old guys that were born on October eighth, nineteen sixty-six. And then sometimes I have to say before noon or afternoon. I gotta narrow that uh, age group down to like a, a three-hour span, like you know, fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. So you you won your you won your uh, the females. Yeah. So. Dang. Yeah, it's it's fun, and and um, so anyway. Uh, that that's always wow. been a passion of mine is um, is doing athletics. So going back to time management, I learned that at an early age because I would you know go to school, then have basketball practice, then cheer practice, then soccer practice. So I was getting home you know seven seven thirty and having dinner and then trying to do homework before going to bed and then getting up. So not a lot of room to, you know, get in trouble or anything. No. um, Just really. um, Yeah, that forces you into that. Right. Yeah, I think mine was just trying to get home by four o'clock to watch Gilligan's Island. That mm-hmm. That's what I had to, you know, do. But no, that's that's fantastic. That really teaches you a lot to, um, you know, the old cliche of you want something done, give it to a busy person. So mm-hmm. you're certainly a good example of that. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I guess back then, you know, I didn't really watch a lot of TV. I don't really watch a lot of TV now. I listen to a lot of podcasts um, <laughs> and things and, and I'm a big fan of Audible. But uh, that's probably just my maximizer uh, strength coming out. So I yeah. can can do that while being in the car or something. So right, yeah. the The podcast was um, just a vision that I had, and you know, you don't know if you can do it unless you try it. And um, that's been happening for two years, and then um, I've been had another passion for um, doing education. Uh, around uh, the new, uh, you know, medical cannabis is becoming uh, really ubiquitous, and right. it's been approved in you know thirty plus, I think thirty three, thirty four. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, not advocating for or against, but just we as pharmacists need to learn about it because yeah, we do. Exactly. Patients are coming up, and so and asking questions about it. You know, it's in, it's starting to come out, and and you know the all the retail stores and, and everywhere. And so, um, the goal is to, um, have a, an online course available to educate pharmacists on that. And that's available on, uh, a website or will be available. Um, and then I'm also, um, going to be launching a podcast dedicated to, um, natural products and that'll be the natural products resource center. Uh, podcast. So, oh, that's great. Um, what, yeah. What uh, what metrics, Hillary, do you put on your podcast to say that it's successful in your eyes? Is it is it because it's enjoyable for you? It's successful, or do you have any do you have any um, markers? And unfortunately, most of us these days are 
you know, never really happy with the marker because as soon as it gets there, you want to change it to a different, a different goal. But what do you, what do you consider a, your win with the podcast? You know, I, I really don't have any firm metrics on that. I mean, it's, it's still been a fun passion of mine. I, I love connecting with other pharmacists. Sure. And, um, I love learning about what they're doing. And if I geek out on that, I want to be able to share their stories. Yeah. And, and really it kind of, Came, comes down to, you know, I remember um, being in pharmacy school and they'd have guest speakers come in and share about their different career paths. And I kind of was thinking, wow, like, what if we could scale that and sure. anyone could learn about it? And yeah. Um, and so that was really kind of the initial thought. But I think it's just become so much more um, because you know, I also just have this, this real, um, I want to teach people about thinking about, um, how to think outside of, of pharmacy and just looking at healthcare, uh, from a broader perspective and, you know, really seeing, um, you know, demonstrating our value as a profession, um, you know, driving home that sense of purpose and mission and, you know, trying to build a, a tribe around that. So, um, you know, um, for, for listeners, you know, you're kind of part of the talk to your pharmacist tribe and you can, you know, follow on Instagram and share and, and, uh, you know, we've also got a, a Facebook page. Um, so yeah, it's really just been, uh, of course I can, can track and see how yeah. it's grown. Um, but yeah. But I'm sure you know. But that keeps changing, and and I think the probably that it's you know looking at you and, and you know I can see your that when you talk about the people you meet and stuff, that sounds like the best metric you could you could have there. Yeah, and and you know it's it's really just um, I I'm just kind of a relationship. Uh, per, I think uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about connectors, mavens, and sales, uh, men in his book, um, tipping point. And yeah. I would consider myself a connector. I enjoy, um, talking to people and yeah. So finding guests is, is the easy part because I think that my love of learning is always like, Oh, what are other people doing? And, and right. How are you, um, with your guests, um, how do you decide who you want? And it seems that the podcast is such a good way to meet people. How have you met them enough or know them enough to then invite them on your show? Or are those more cold and you're not meeting them till later? Yeah, a lot of it is really organic. Um, so, you know, just um, existing relationships was where I started and then that, uh, trickles down. So, you know, like people are like, Oh, you should invite so-and-so or so-and-so or I meet them at a conference or I see something that they post on LinkedIn or I see something on Instagram, you know, all the different forms of social media. Yeah. Right. 
Right. Um, and of course, the bigger, the, the more you're out there, the more episodes, people know people and, and so on. So yeah. that really snowballs, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so most people would say, all right, that's enough. I've got the three websites going. I won my triathlon category doing this, doing that. But you got something else that is taking up your time that you shared uh, just before we went on on record here. What what is that? Yeah, so I have I'm working on my MBA, and I have always had an inkling of wanting to do that, but um, you know, there wasn't ever a good fit. Uh, so I I feel very strongly of even though it sounds like I work all the time, I I have a I think a decent work life balance. Sure. Uh, we live in a fun city. We like to go out on the lake when we get invited uh, on the weekends. You know, we'll, we love to go out to, we love to travel, um, you know, try out new restaurants. But, you know, during the week, we're um, pretty scheduled. Uh, so I, I've always had this interest in the MBA. But, man, I'm not going to take a year off from work. Uh, right. I'm not going to commit to being somewhere every weekend. What if I want to be traveling? And, um, through my employer, actually, um, what I've been thinking about, um, as I've been moving more into leadership and, and, um, learning about leadership, um, I just really wanted to, to get more hone those business skills of, of accounting and finance and marketing and, um, knew that if I wanted to continue to advance in that and, and with some of the other entrepreneurial uh, interests that I wanted to get the MBA. And uh, there, it, there are a couple of great programs. The one that I've selected is through Western Governors University. Um, oh, the other thing I meant, so not only the time w- w- was a big concern, but financially, sure. Um, you know, some of these school, it's a, it's a, 50 or 60 grand commitment. And, um, you know, we don't have that kind of money to just throw out. And, uh, I didn't want to take on any large student loans, but, uh, through Western governors university, I found uh, a nonprofit university that, uh, 19 governors came together and founded and, uh, it great reviews online about it. And it's an online program, so it is self-paced and competency-based. Um, so I can pick it up and do it whenever uh, I want to. So I can, you know, of course I'm incentivized because it's based on six-month terms. So uh, you can take as many classes as you want in six months. Uh, so oh, I see. Classes, gotcha. The the less it is. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a great, um, it's been a really good experience so far and, um, I've, you know, found value in it and it's been a very reasonable price and, and something that my employer is thankfully, uh, reimbursing uh, a little bit. Oh, that's um, neat. And so, you know, I, I think, I think at this point in my life, if, and I have no plans for it. I think if I did an MBA, a good portion of it would be to put those letters behind my name 
And it sounds like that's not your, obviously your, your top concern by any means. Is that part of it? Do you want to have that behind you for different avenues that will open up? Or what percent would you say is like the benefit and what percent is knowing people that you now have an MBA for whatever reasons or any doors that opens just by having that on your name? Yeah, you know, I think having letters behind our name is a very interesting topic. So, um, so yeah, I think that that pharmacy has become really interested in that. Um, <laughs> That's a lot of letters, yeah. Yeah, and and you know what's interesting with the medical profession? It's just MD. Right, yeah. You see MD, you may see MD, MPH, MD, MBA, yeah. MD, maybe PhD. Um, but right. uh, like, for instance, my, um, uh, my, the eye, the eye surgeon, I'm blinking on there for, um, Oh, like the, the OD or no. Um, anyway, the, the physician that did my LASIK surgery, I am now blanking on. It's not an optometrist. That's not a physician, but an op- ophthalmologist. Yeah, that was on the tip of my tongue. Ophthalmologist. Yeah. I don't know why I wasn't saying, wasn't coming to my mind. Uh, the ophthalmologist also got his PhD from MIT in physics and was one of the very first to do 3D LASIK. And yeah. here in Nashville, and so I, you know, when I was doing LASIK, I'm like, I'm gonna pick him uh, for that extra training. But yeah, it's interesting. So, um, you know, I thought about doing the whole BCPS, and and you know, um, may I haven't needed it in my career. Um, maybe if you're gonna niche down and do um, ambulatory care, or maybe yeah something specialty pharmacy or, you know, maybe you're going to work in the ICU. Some hospitals don't even consider you, you know, if you don't have one of those. Um, Interesting. Right. But uh, for me, uh, I have just been really drawn into more of the business side of healthcare and um, really see myself more moving into healthcare executive role. And, uh, that's something even with, uh, I'm a member of the Academy or sorry, the, the American college of healthcare executives, ACHE. And, um, you know, that's something where, um, you can move for any executive or if you want to move forward and, and learn more about that type of skill, you know, you could be a nurse or you might be a physician or, or a lot of different areas uh in healthcare but can pursue that uh credential as well. So yeah, I, I guess I am more interested in some of, of the non pharmacy specific um Yeah and, and that's gotta help and that's gotta help though having that behind your name, right? If you're looking at an executive position, um despite you wanting it for um prestige or so on, it's gotta help it would seem it would help in the business world moving up in the executive roles. Wouldn't you think? Oh, you know, hopefully. Um, it will. <laughs> yeah. So, so we'll will. see, but yeah, um, it's, it's been fun and, and I oh, think it'll, cool. it'll de- definitely bring value 
Yeah, good for you. All right, I got a couple questions for you. What um, what professionally or you know professionally, financially, not personally, but what what things are cause you to get butterflies in your stomach or lose sleep or or worry about what what in your career, whether it's job security or a million other things. Hmm, that's an interesting question. Or are you just like, everything is great. Give me some lemonade. Just going to hang out. You know, personally, I, I, I don't struggle with that. Uh, what I, what I am, what I am concerned about is our, the health of our profession. And, um, you know, I think that, that we're seeing a lot of, of change. I mean, there's change ha- happening everywhere in the healthcare industry. Right. Um, so it's not isolated just to pharmacy. Um, but what I really, you know, that's probably what keeps me up at night is, you know, you see there are layoffs. Um, yeah. Just at, today we heard. Yeah. Walgreens is shutting Walgreens down some stores. Walgreens yeah, and, and yeah. Walmart had, had laid off some people. And, yeah. You know, there you you see that. Uh, or, or hospital systems or, you know, maybe they're yeah. laying off people. Right. Um, yeah. so I think that's probably, um, what is the biggest, um, concern for me. Sure. And I think that, you know, it is a very complex issue and, and people are definitely, uh, very, um, uh, emotional about it. Yeah. Um, I bet. but you know, I, I, we, we really have a choice. Um, you know, how do we respond to that? And, you know, you can choose to respond, um, with kind of this can do attitude and, um, you know, really looking at, at ways like, all right, well, how do you, all right, well, what's the worst that could happen? Okay. You lose your job and then what? Yeah. Well, then you look for a different job. Maybe you don't find, and then what? And so, so you yeah. know, kind of thinking through like what's the worst case that could happen, kind of thing, and then you um, just start. You know, there with a pharmacy degree, there's so much versatility. Yeah. Um, maybe it's not what you have been doing, but I mean, just look at exactly. my career. Um, yeah. I, you know, things came up and. I was like, gosh, well, I got to make a shift and, and you do. And I think that, that the training that we have, um, from pharmacy school, um, we, we are really good at, um, or we have, we have a lot of, of value that we can bring. And so I think it's just, um, being perseverant, keeping a positive attitude, um, and actually staying engaged. So, so, you know, if, if we don't know what's happening, like if we don't know, oh, well the payment models are changing. And so, um, while we did make a really great living with being reimbursed, uh, based on, you know, filling drugs, um, that's changing and we're moving towards value-based care. And so we need to be there, um, advocating, and, um, demonstrating that value. And so, you know, I was talking with some people from CMS here recently 
and you know, everyone talks about the physicians and the nurses and I'm like, and the pharmacist, yeah, you know, right. we've got a, we've got a primary care shortage yeah. and this bill for, exactly. um, having pharmacists, uh, serve, um, primary care population, especially in rural areas, you've got 90 percent of people live within five miles of a pharmacy. So, yeah. um, we're very accessible. If you had to stay in the workforce, you had to be still be, you, you still had to have money coming in, but you could do it any way you wanted to. What job would you, where would you like to be spending most of your time? You know, some pharmacists will say, well, I want to write all day or I want to do this all day. What would you be doing um, if, if, if you could take any job you wanted to and you didn't have to worry about the pay rates of any of the jobs? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. And, you know, I, I'm really blessed because the work that I do at Dispensary of Hope is uh, meaningful and challenging and there's a lot of variety. So for me, um, it fits really well. Some people yeah. want to have a schedule every day. For me, right. I, I, I feel like I'm using a lot of those skills. Um, That's the, great. It sounds like you're right in the spot you want to be. Yeah, you got to find your sweet spot. And, you know, in the future, um, you know, I'd love to maybe own my own uh, business and, or, you know, really expand with, with the, the work that I'm looking at doing with the Natural Products Resource Center or or, um, you know, maybe there's another venture that, that I want to launch or co-launch with, with somebody. Um, I think that, um, speaking out for the profession and, um, advocating and, um, that's something that, that I hope to continue to do as well. Um, so I think that that will probably be something that I just, and I'm really interested in. Um, what if you did not have any, you weren't allowed to work. And even though you wanted to, they said, Hillary, you just can't do this. What are you then spending your time on? I think it sounds to me like you always have to be moving and, and problem solving in that. So oh, I, that's an easy answer. What would you be doing? I would be traveling around the world. With you my would. Husband. Awesome. <laughs> yep. That's. I sometimes fantasize about if oh. I could have a travel blog and just travel. But oh, so you got know, that all if, planned out in your head? Yeah, that would be really fun if I if I didn't need any money. Now we don't have children yet. Um, yeah. So of course that will probably change things. And sure. Who knows if you're living on the road for, you know, months on end, there is something to be said about being in community with people. Yeah, and right. Being grounded. But, um, yeah, it, it's just we just have such a great time and I love experiencing all of the different cultures and seeing uh, different places. It's just. Oh, that's really neat enjoyable. that you know that. That's that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I've yet to get. I think I've I've been to Canada and. Mexico. Now the younger generation is like, if you haven't been overseas, like by the time you're a senior in high school, it's like <laughs> something's wrong. We 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 were never like that. Did you did you travel in high school? You know, uh, it's funny that you say that because my 
Well, I think we did a cruise. You know, we did a cruise. Yeah. Bahamas in like sixth grade. And then, but my first real trip was before my senior year of high school. Of course. Um, So it was a big two week uh, trip. About 40 kids from my high school went. And um, we had, you know, actually my mom was a chef. She taught school at my high school and was a chaperone. And, um, so about 40 of us kids, we did England, France, and Italy, and I just loved it. And then really didn't have the chance to go back. So, um, I had some college friends that went and did a study abroad. And that is the one thing that I regret from college is that I didn't get to do study abroad, but not doing that, but you know, my, my parents weren't, you know, they were like, well, you can either do DC next year or you can do study abroad this year. And I picked DC and I think, um, really life and career wise that ended up being a great decision. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, we didn't have, we didn't have, you know, we couldn't afford to send me to do, uh, you know, six weeks to Italy. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, um, exactly. So hopefully I'll, I can be able to give our children that experience. Cause I think it would be interesting to have that, um, yeah. in college. My wife and I always, and I always joke cause when our, as our older kids start doing some of that traveling, we always have kind of a, we make believe that we've been to Paris, so at least we can fake name drop with the kids as they're talking about their their travels all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm jealous of that, but uh, but I guess we'll have our we'll have our time. So, well, Hillary, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on as a guest, and best of luck as you uh, grow wings with the Business of Pharmacy podcast and. Uh, enjoy talking with you. This was the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for future episodes.